Welcome to the Grinders Table, the podcast where we sit with C-suite executives and founders who are taking their industry by storm to figure out how you can build an exceptional career and business. Together, we'll try to uncover how they have both defined the odds and what you can learn from their experience. Today, we have another amazing person. Now, one of the goals of this podcast is to chronicle the lives of amazing people building great, great, great things that are very, very impactful. And today we have somebody that embodies that in my usual fashion. You know, I don't like introducing people. Um, I would let Hafsa introduce herself. Hi, my name is Hafsa Jumari. I'm the CEO of Kuamana which is an ad tech startup that operates in Nigeria and Kenya, and I'm happy to be here today. Um, I'm naturally a researcher. Um, I started out my career doing research on smallholder farmers at the University of Cape Town, and a few years down the line here, I'm running a startup. Uh, between then and now, a lot has happened to kind of bring me to this place. And um, I'm happy to share my journey with you. Thank you so much, because that's the journey we're going to go into. Um, if you, I mean, everybody says hindsight is um, 2020, um, but if you look back to your life, into your formative years, did you see yourself in this path? Not at all. I, I actually thought I was going to become an academic. Um, like I said, I was doing research on smallholder farmers, I was going to start my PhD. Um, I, I won this award and like best thesis at the university and I actually thought I was set to become an academic. But somehow along the way, I got disillusioned, I think, with the academic process. Like I was looking at all this data and it was very different from what farmers were saying in the field. and. Um, I found myself also working alone in an office with with no colleagues because the I think academia is a very lonely uh, job. And I'd, I'd even go to work in my PJs because there was no one to notice me. And I, and I think just that whole process put me on this path to, to exploring this uh, kind of issue of market access for smallholder farmers. And I kind of get up, got obsessed with the topics. Um, so no, and even starting the startup, like I think I took different routes, right? I tried to partner with the company to, to figure out how to solve this problem. Uh, I, I think there was a clash of personalities with myself and, and the founder of that company. And um, I was a consultant for a while for different companies in this space and so it wasn't quite a straightforward journey, but it was a, a a kind of issue that I became obsessed with solving. And and so without that obsession, I don't even think I'll be there. I'll be here today. <laughs> Talk about healthy obsession. But if you compare academia to now running a business, so how how different has it been? How, how have you been able to adjust to that life? I think, I mean, I... I definitely prefer this life, right? I wake up daily excited about kind of the next thing that we're going to solve is definitely not boring or relaxed. It's it's 
high pressure, but um, I think the academic process is much slower. Yeah, you is you're not kind of you're not free to explore ideas. There's this peer review process that stops you from experimenting and really finding out solutions, in my opinion. And uh, whereas in this case, I feel like we we have gotten the opportunity to kind of dig deeper into the issue, understand it as like research, but in a in a in a very in a more free way, I would say. Um, that's not to say academia is not great. I think the people that are amazing, it, it takes a lot of commitment to devote your life to that. But I definitely prefer this. It's much more interesting. It's more difficult. It's, I think you wake up with uncertainty every morning. So it's not, it's not a comfortable place to be in. Um, but once you find the right team, once you have like the right people and structure around you, it's, it's not so bad. Mm. Now you, you talked about having this itching obsession to solve a problem. And then the part to solving that was partnering with somebody that they didn't eventually work. And I know that at various points in life, people would have to partner with other people that think that they align with the, a certain vision. Now, what were the lessons you learned in partnering with, with that person that did eventually work out? So, I mean, one thing that I wish I would have done is actually look at what other people were saying about that person, other people that that person had tried to collaborate with. So I think that would have given me indication of what the partnership was going to be like. So if I had to go back, I was to go back, I wish I had done that. Uh, but also just because, uh, you know, the person, a person is excited about what you're doing. It doesn't mean that you're going to have aligned visions or, or ways of doing things. And, um, I think I, so I spent maybe two, three months, uh, very accommodating. However, um, sometimes you have to kind of stand your ground and not continue a journey that's not working. So I wish I had you know, in the first week when I figured out that there was mis misalignments, I had just walked away. Uh, so I, I, I think that's overall, like just being more deliberate about decision-making as opposed to waiting and seeing what happens. Sure. Being, being deliberate, that word is actually very, very important. Being deliberate in everything you do. Now at that moment where you decided to, would I say break free of that partnership, what was that feeling like? It was liberating. And I'll tell you why. So the person said, so again, not to dismiss um, his own endeavor, uh, people have the solution that trying to solve, right? And I think it was just a, not a right fit. Uh, but he had something he was trying to solve and we thought we could merge our visions, which didn't quite work. And one thing that I knew just growing up on this continent, growing up in Northern Nigeria, um, and the person was not from this continent, right? So there was a difference in, in perspective. Um, the issues I was trying to solve, my sister is a farmer. Uh, some of them, some of the issues were very close to home, right? So the perspective I took was like, hey, I knew the context, right? Here's what is needed. Whereas there was a different perspective that was coming and I didn't quite feel like uh, replicating models from other places worked in this context. 
Um, so, so that enabled me to kind of break off and, and, and focus on that. Um, but I would say, um, it was also a learning experience because, and I've seen this with so many people, right? Uh, we know how things work in our societies. We know the context, we know the problems. And sometimes you go off, you get educated, you get partners that are not necessarily from the continent that don't understand the context and you yourself begin to take that view of how things should work here as opposed to coming with your own contextual views. Uh, so I think that was the first situation that kind of made me a bit more aggressive about my beliefs on what I shouldn't be doing, what we shouldn't be doing as a company. Oh, yeah. Um, talking about your beliefs, what, what inspires your belief? Or what is that thing that drives you every morning you wake up, even when things are not going the right, the right way? What was that thing that inspires you or drives you? To be honest, curiosity. I think, uh, um, I mean, besides the obsession with the issue, um, uh, the more we solve, uh, like the problem with solving using our model, the more I wake up every morning curious about what the next step is. So that drives me a lot. Um, I, I, I don't think uh, besides the curiosity and obsession, I can say other things. Of course, there's the impact. That drives me a lot. But a lot of, I think so many people want to solve a problem. You want to make things better for people. So the interest and impact is always there. But the curiosity about the work, the can I solve this prob problem? Can I solve this puzzle? Um, how is my team ever responding to this, for instance? It's, 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 yeah, it's simply the best, I guess, thing for me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, curiosity, living a life of curiosity. Mm. Uh, you, you mentioned, you know, your team. And I tell people that, um, one of the hardest parts of being a leader or a CEO is actually managing a team and, you know, driving them towards that organizational target or that vision that you have. How have you been able to, one, recruit the right team and also lead them in such a way that you're carrying them along and they feel this ownership for your vision? Honestly, it's still a trial and error, tell you that. Um, but then there's a, there's a core set of people and this was, this were people that came about over time that I believe we have a shared vision now in, within the company, particularly the management team. Uh, we tend to be a bit more aligned. That didn't always happen naturally. And it took a while to kind of get them to see the vision, understand the vision, and then chart their own parts within this, right? Some people are like much more interested on the data components. Some people are just a uh, design oriented some people want to be in the field it's it's a so you find that within the same vision we have different things but that wasn't always the case i think we've had um situations where it didn't work out and then um running a startup sometimes you're moving faster you're pivoting faster than your team can keep up right and that that's a lot of burnout not everyone can handle that um and to be fair you're not uh, you shouldn't always expect that people will handle, handle that well. Um, and so I think it's still a work in progress. I think we've gotten better over time. 
we've we've had a, made definitely a lot of mistakes. You hired a recruitment firm that was much more interested in in commissions than the talent they bring in, and um, being able to have that experience has kind of made us what to look out for. Um, I, I I think so many startups are facing the same thing. And then, of course, when it comes to tech talent, you hire someone and two months later, they're working for Microsoft. So, and you can't eat and just pay the same salary. So, um, yeah, I think we work with what we have right now, but I would say that we have a very strong management team and we have even members in our team that are really strong. And sometimes it actually took me a learning a lot about them and how they work to figure out their strengths. Um, uh, I did this acumen fellowship that kind of forced me to look at what I was doing wrong as a leader that made it so that there was an alignment within teams. And now that I think was a very therapeutic process of identifying my own weaknesses. Um, but I would say the most important thing was, um, I now have a co-founder. So interestingly, co-founder is someone that I worked with for a very long time. And I honestly thought at some point we'd gone and uh, join another entity uh, that would be able to pay him much better for his talents, but he stayed. Uh, we are obsessed together about getting things done. He has like his strengths. Uh, I have my strengths and that kind of works well together. And to be honest, it's also good to have some women you can complain to all the time. Um, I, I'd think people underestimate that because this is a, it's a bit of a try on journey. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll come back to the question of a, a co-founder. Um, what, what you, what will you say is some, or let's, let's pick one, one of the best advice you've gotten in your career. And what would you say is the worst advice you've gotten? I'm just throwing this out there because advice is very contextual, right? What could be the worst advice to you could be the best to somebody else. But I, I'd like to hear what was the best and what's worst advice you, you've gotten from anyone? I think the best advice that I've gotten was start with the analysis paralysis. So when I first, I mean, coming from a research background, we got bugged down in the research, okay? Understanding the market, understanding how to shape this product. And... It was, at, and interestingly, a lot of the initial investors are like friends of my mother. Um, a lot of them are women. And um, so, we, I mean, just based on the trends you see in terms of gender and um, like running a company, you find that women are much more cautious, right? So we spent a lot of time with them helping me trying to figure out how best to tailor a product. And that was really good initially. But I think I just carried on that momentum and got stuck in the research phase. And it was them, they came back, they were like, okay, stop the analysis paralysis, just get this started. And I think that was the best advice. And since then we've had the approach of just do it and then learn from it. And and if I think if we had to sit back down and think too much about what we're doing, we're not going to get anything done. So that was the best advice. And the worst advice, I would say, is so there was someone I, at the very early stages, because we, we actually decided not to raise after our first experience with the investment landscape yet. Um, 
and just wait till we we got but we felt like we had product fit but the first experience i had was someone that was referred to and um they got on the phone and they were like oh don't do it i'm like i don't understand don't do it and they're like no don't do this it won't work i'm like did you even read the document they didn't so they just made this massive assumption assumption based on kind of the Nigerian ecosystem ability to scale different things from that, that one past. And they're like, don't do it, right? And, and I think that was the worst advice I got, and I'm glad I, I didn't even consider it for a second. Uh, interestingly, this same person came back a few years later and wanted to collaborate. So um, it, it definitely was the worst possible advice that anyone could have given me. <laughs> Interesting. Um, you've all been listening to Hafsa Jumari, and um, as you can hear already, she's an amazing person. And um, I'd just like you to subscribe, share with somebody, and um, listen on because there's so much more to come from this conversation. Um, what inspired the name Kwama, if I'm pronouncing it right? Yes, Kwama. No. Yeah, well, what inspired that name? So we had a first name that we had thought of for ourselves, but I would not mention this yet. Just to like leave some dignity for us. We had a very terrible name, but <laughs> um, when we started, we were working with a lot of cooperatives. And then I, I also spent some time working with uh, founding cooperatives in Ethiopia, in Kenya. And then there was a common thing in some parts of in northern Nigeria, Amana means trust. In uh, Oromia region, Ethiopia, it was a similar case. Some parts of uh, Kenya uh, by the coast. So it was it was just a word that kind of kept coming up. Like we were building a system of trust and working with cooperatives, and we just took the co and Amana and put it together. Huh. Would you be able to share, or are you willing to share a success story of a a, a, a farmer or an entrepreneur that was able to build their business through Kwamana? Yes. So, um, there's this place in Kano, um, Kura that we work in, and we have a very powerful agent there. The just this young man that has like his POS device and. The reason why it's a, such a success story was because he was able to rally the entire community for us. We started out just working with him, um, aggregating uh, from the community there, uh, working particularly with the women in th that location. But really, he's become such a strong force for us that we were actually trying to make him into like a full-time staff now. Um, and... Um, not just that, so learning strong working with him actually shaped some parts of our model um, because he was able to give an, an advice on, hey, here's like the way that people are doing things here. Can you align with that? Um, so as far as success stories go, I would say he, he definitely uh, is a very important success story for us, not just because of what he's done for himself, but how he's been able to shape what would we do as well? Hmm. I, I have a very peculiar question. And this is a question I oftentimes ask to founders when on, on an investment call, right? 
are there assumptions that you had that have sort of changed as as you've continued building Kwamana? Yes, in a very big way. Uh, um, I think the biggest thing, we, the biggest mistake we made coming into this was to assume that um, because we we deal with uh, farmers and like market access enabling sales for them. So the biggest mistake we made was thinking that we could just come and put a marketplace system uh, here, but it didn't quite work because we were we were looking at like the Amazons of the world and thinking, okay, how can we tailor this to this system? And we had to, I think, the first, when we first rolled it out, there was a lot of, in fact, in the middle of COVID, we were so excited because we, we had like a 100% growth, right? Like all these people signed up. And we realized that they were communicating a lot, but not trading, right? And one one thing we realized was that the core component of uh, purchasing in agriculture is trade and being able to validate what you see, you know, quality and ensuring there's a like that quality control system in place. And of course, we had a platform that was, well, good for communications, but WhatsApp does that too but it didn't quite solve the main issue we wanted to. So I think that assumption was something we had to throw out completely. Um, not We didn't even use it as a foundation for what we were doing next. Huh, I see, I see. Um, and in terms of, you know, I said I was going to go back to your co-founder. Um, one of one of the very tricky parts of, of, of building a business, at least in my interaction with, with founders and as the company grows, is you know decision making, figuring out what works best in terms of having a united front in decision making, especially when you have two really strong people, two really smart people. How do you navigate that? So I would say that we have very different strengths and weaknesses, right? Um, he, he has like, so he's, he has the ability to take things and put them into a structure, right? Be it like a product design user, um, uh, kind of perspective of that. So that is something he does really, really well. Right. Whereas I, I also, I have the capacity to think through wrong, longer strategies. And I think, um, having those two things kind of work together because I can be thinking six months ahead, right? But that has to be executed some in some way. And he has the ability to kind of keep that grounded. Um, so I would say I, I have not seen if it was a founder that I went looking for and just joined the company, we probably would have had uh, clashes. But because we learned to work with each other over time, um, I think it's worked really well. And I think we bring different strengths to each other. I think I'm always trying to race ahead, but he's kind of always ensuring that that uh, kind of, I wouldn't say structure because we're both structured people, but uh, there's a form that things take that he enables to happen. I don't even know how to classify it in words right now. Um, so because of that, I do not, I don't find that we have that much conflict. Um, of course, we have our debates about how things should be done, but it's usually healthy and um, it always ends up in like some kind of balance or um, we have a trade-off somehow. Yeah. So looking at the future, how do you, what do you see the industry you're currently building in and what role do you see yourself playing in that future? 
So I think people are going to come to realize something about the agricultural markets, right? And um, because I'm just coming from my research background, I've had to, like, this is, this feels like my PhD. I'm documenting a lot of insights as we go along around, like, what we see in the market. And just how even people interact with the market as a whole. And what one thing I, re I realized is, like, there's a level that the people operate in, and in kind of level one of what's going on in the market, but the market actually has 10 levels to it. And there's a lot of information gap, gaps, I guess, on the market, the people within it, the dynamics of the market. I think people have taken a kind of unit approach to like trying to understand the farmer as it should be more of like this ethnographic approach where you look at this person within the entire system that they're in. And I think once people understand this better and like stop seeing the agricultural market as too fragmented, um, there's going to be a massive shift shift in the market. I, I would say that I haven't seen that many people that have this knowledge that are outside of maybe the founders that are working closely uh, with the system. Um, but I believe that uh, people are more and more starting to realize it. And there's a lot of opportunity for ad tech. I think it lags way behind fintech and maybe ebutech, but I think it'll catch up because of this. Oh yeah, I also believe that I know there's this, you know, there's a lot of people investing in fintech because well, that's the money spinner, um, and and some other industries. But if you look at all the emerging economies or economies that have actually eventually moved past being emerging, you see that agriculture was one sector that was heavily invested, in, and that's something that we're missing out on, on the on the, on this part of Africa. Um, now we're rounding up. What advice will you give anybody who is so this is so, so somewhat a two-prong question. Who is about to switch careers, just like the way you moved from academia to you know, running your business, uh, or who is intending to grow their career? So you're you're probably within an organization. You're trying to figure out how to get ahead. So I would I would just say just do it. I feel like I sound like Nike, but even in career where where I has like grow and take up a new role. I had to learn by doing. That was my experience. Like nothing in the books prepare you for not doing, uh, for doing actually, sorry. Um, so just experience running a startup again, just do it. Um, the, I've seen people be reluctant to take things forward a lot, even when they have the most brilliant solution. And I, and I'm always curious as to why, and I don't know if it's a fear, if it's people thinking everything is going to align because it never will, you just have to move forward and do it and fail forward as you do it. So that's the biggest advice I can give anyone here. Great stuff. Great stuff. Thank you so much. Um, Hafsa Jumari, um, it's been a great 30 minutes or so listening to you talk about your life, the growth that right. you've had it and. Your advice, just do it. Thank you once again. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on. That's all on today's episode of The Grinders Table. And thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at MontiorOM. That's at Montier for Miss Time French, OM. 
Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.